You're listening to the Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor, Patrick Johnston. Welcome back, Try and Tackle podcast. It's been a while. I don't know, it's been a month, a month and a half. It's now August 5th. I'm Patrick Johnston. And uh, as usual, on the line, joining me from This Is American Rugby, it's Curtis Reed. Hey, Curtis. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Now, uh, you know, long long weekend for us here in Canada. Of course, we had the, the PNC finals out of Burnaby. You were here. I was stuck in traffic and stuck watching the games on replay, but uh, you know, you were in the stadium, you saw the Americans win. Uh, let's talk about that first. There was obviously four games in, I think, for Canada, four games in for the Americans in their, in their rugby World Cup campaign, and uh, four games to go for Canada, and I think it's a similar number for the U.S., so let's start with you. Let's start with, with the Americans. What did you see on, on, on Monday what did you see over the tournament? Where are the Americans at? Where do they have to go? So on and so on. I think what we saw on Monday and throughout the tournament was a resiliency that hasn't been there before. Um, you would see them maybe fight for a little bit in the past and then give up a couple of easy tries um, and then just kind of give up. Um, they couldn't really crawl their way back. And I think what you saw throughout the tournament is that they were able to ride the waves of a match better than they have in the past. Um, so they jump out to leads, weather a storm where a team comes back, and then pull it out in the end. I think the, the match against Canada was the perfect example of that. They take advantage of Canada coming out slow the first 20 minutes. They use their newfound kicking game with A.J. McGinty, who I guess we'll talk about later, because for, for me, he's been the best U.S. player um, in the PNC, or maybe the most valuable U.S. player, I should say. Um, you know, they take those points in the first 20 minutes, then they kind of allow Canada to come back, some dumb yellow card um, infractions that really cost them. But then at the end, they they show that resiliency and they come through and they get the win. And I think that's exactly what you need heading into the World Cup is to be even keeled and not let a match get away from you and know that you can come back. And so I, they got to be feeling pretty positive about the direction they're headed into their final three matches before the World Cup. More broadly, I mean, Canada, I've, I've talked quite a bit about Canada's challenge at the World Cup, the fact that they're pay, playing four opponents against whom they, and they match up poorly against all four of them. Obviously, Romania, they've played twice in the last two years and lost the forwards battle, given away penalties and lost to an amazing goal kicker, uh, despite trying to play some pretty decent rugby themselves, which, which has kind of become the story for the Canadians. Uh, you know, and then they've got the you know they've got some serious opponents in Ireland, France, and and Italy, three tier one nations, and you know I mean maybe they have a chance against Italy, but I think you're you're kind of kidding yourself if they can do anything against Ireland or France, who are both I think strong favorites to to be at least in the final four. You know, give us give us a sense of how this plays out in the American hopes and dreams at uh, at Rugby World Cup starting next month. I think they still face a really uphill challenge. The The Japanese team they beat a couple weeks ago is not the same team that they're going to take on in the World Cup. Um, they showed they could hang with Samoa, but I, I expect Samoa, and again, this is another point that we'll talk about with maybe the PNC, the play of Samoa and Fiji, but I think Samoa is just going to kick it into another level at the World Cup. Um, you know, I don't know that it changes much rather than gives fans maybe a little bit more hope that they're going to pick out a couple of 
maybe a win or two um, when before they were favored to basically win no matches in their pool. Um, the one thing I do want to touch about, and you talked about it, you know, a little bit, is where Canada doesn't match up well against some of these teams. And I think where you're looking at it now is in the scrum. You know, Canada. If there's one thing to target on Canada this tournament that they did not do well, at least I feel, is in the scrum. And we've talked about this before, but I think a lot of it goes back to the fact that domestic rugby in both the U.S. and Canada has fallen off a bit. That's typically where players were able to, you know, learn their trade and keep up. And I think when the BC Premier League was at its full stride, that's when Canada's pack was doing well because those players were getting good time against each other. And now that that's kind of fallen off, players maybe don't play there as much as they used to. Um, you know, I think that's that's starting to cause some problems. And on even on the U.S. side, I think if you look outside of Eric Fry and T.T. Lamasatelli, who are both on premiership rosters, you know, the depth isn't really there that they would like because the they're just not getting the game time that they would like. So um, to me, you know, and this is long-winded as always, but... <laughs> Uh, to me, I think Canada can be really dangerous. Jeff Hassler, DTH Vandermeer, the backs very, very good. Even the halfbacks are good. But unless they can really get their forwards sorted out, they, they're going to have a hard time at the World Cup. I think. Yeah, and I mean, I've written plenty about that, so I, I won't dwell too much on that. But, uh, uh, you know, I look at the Canadian team, and, and there's there's so much positive play between whistles that that, that they're at least trying to move the ball around I was tweeting a bit about this yesterday that they're at least you know I I can I still think about I you know coaching clinics I've gone to and and discussions with coaches and I don't and in no way suggesting this is a, a across the board problem but there are pockets of it that speak of this kind of mentality that speak to a worrying attitude, I think Canadian, we're, we're too risk averse in training our players. Um, that I watched, you know, I watched that Fiji Samoa game, and that second half, those teams were there to win, and they wanted to score, and they were pushing the other team's uh, instincts. And, and Fiji, in particular, who seemed to really find consistency, and John McKee was talking about it. So, you know, he gave he's given a couple interviews over the course of the tournament in various places, but basically talking about that's what he's here to do. He knows his players love to attack he knows his players love to throw big hits but it's about finding a a, a sort of a a high level high octane average pace if that will and maintaining it through the entire game and i think we saw that more and more especially if you compare the samoa fiji game at early on in the tournament which was a 30 30 draw thriller in sacramento versus the uh win for Fiji on Monday where I really think that they were ahead above Samoa. It's going to be interesting to see how if Samoa can pull things together in the next month or so as they head into the World Cup. And of course that is the other story with the PNC was, you know, from a Canadian perspective, Kieran Crowley was was really testing the depths of his squad. He he changed his lineup for every, almost every single game. Um, the only guy who might have played every game was Tyler Ardrin, but of course he's got a knee injury. Now There's an expectation now, uh, I think, that he'll be healthy for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, worst case scenario is that he'll play in the opener. Best case is that he's ready to go for one of their early um, one of the early September matches in, in England, those sort of warm-up games that they have lined up against Fiji and Georgia. Um, but but on the whole, it was a tough tournament to judge from that standpoint because of the fact you had a bit of this, you had a bit of that. 
Uh, Crowley, you know, I think you can you can guess by some of the guys that he gave a lot of playing time to because he wa- he wanted to learn a lot more about them. We saw Liam Underwood getting a lot of playing time, but I think honestly, Nate Hiriyama's game against Samoa was the best game I've ever seen him play in 15s for Canada, and I have a hard time believing that Crowley would ignore such a performance against such a tough opposition. Underwood had his moments. There's no doubt that as an attacking presence, when he's on, he's fantastic. So it was interesting to see what Crowley, how he'll use those going those. Uh, performances going forward we saw a lot of Richard Thorpe I think they wanted to learn more about the 31 year old who's you know played grew up trained in England was on the edge of the England squad for several years uh, is now a bit older not quite the show pony he once was maybe but he he did a lot of grinding work I was very impressed with what he brought to the table we saw a lot of Kyle Gilmore I think Kyle Gilmore is going to get a lot of playing time come World Cup time but for Canada, it became a question of where is things going to shake out in that front row? How are things going to shake out in the second row? We know that Jamie Cudmore has joined the team this, or is, is flown to Canada anyway. He'll be part of training. They've taken a, a few, some days off, um, but they'll they'll get back at it next week. We know that Jamie Cudmore is going to be involved. Um, James Sinclair, you know, had had uh, had some sort of cleanup surgery in a knee earlier this year. He's told he's told me he's expecting to be ready to go within uh, within a matter of weeks. So you know, there's guys coming back in who's going to help that lineup. Jason Marshall uh, sort of had a bit of an MCL problem early on in training. He tells me he's on his way back. So there's there's a bunch of positive news coming out from the uh, Canadian camp, but in the end, they're starting to run out of time in terms of running together and making something happen as a unit and that's going to be the challenge going forward and I think that that was the lesson for them certainly coming out of the PNC was that they have a backline that can make things happen that can find some consistency can make some breaks we saw Nick Blevins play some of the best rugby of his career we saw Connor Braid really feeling comfortable in that number 12 role I think it's a question to play, see who's going to play outside center Kieran, Kieran Hearn seems to have the leg up on that but Connor Trainer certainly showed the ambition we expect of him when he was on the field he did played in wing against the US but he's also played in the center and I think most people think he's best suited there given that as you said Hassler is likely on one wing and likely DTH van der Merve is on the other wing but you also have Taylor Paris in the mix you also have Phil McKenzie in the mix uh, you also have uh, James Pritchard. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because in the end, he has been Canada's first-choice goal, ch- goal kicker under the for the entire Crowley reign. It's kept him in the lineup. But, uh, you know, if, if, if it push comes to shove and, and Crowley, Kieran Crowley sees other options in the lineup and figures that balancing out other attacking options in the lineup is preferable to having Pritchard's kicking boot in the lineup you know, I mean, that's going to be interesting to see whether he's able to travel. There, there were a lot of things we saw and a lot of things we can glean from how things are going forward, but there's still, you know, they're going to name a 35 provisional squad uh, sometime in the next few days, and uh, they have to name their 31 by the end of the month. So we'll see how that all plays out. It's an interesting one. Let's um, let's shift to the PNC. Let's talk about it as a whole. I thought Fiji were absolutely fantastic. They're in the pool of death. I think they've uh, they've sort of put themselves forward as being a team to be watched out for. They're playing against Wales, Australia, and England and, and Namibia, but you know those three teams are all deadly teams, and and Fiji is going to basically try to go, I think, punch for punch with those teams and and try to literally run them off the park. Uh, th- th- there's risk in their game, but you know what? Credit to them because what we saw this this uh, this summer was some really thrilling stuff, and I think it was a credit to why they held the PNC ahead of the Rugby World Cup. It gave us a chance to see some Rugby World Cup names and and Rugby World Cup action before the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, I thought you know to echo what you just said that Fiji were fantastic. 
Um, and they're still missing some players. You know, that's the, that's yeah. the scary thing. Just like Samoa, when they get some of those extra players in ahead of the World Cup, I mean, they're going to be a very dangerous team. To me, I think they're better than Wales. Um, you know, they play a different style, and, and it won't be a neutral place where they play, but I think Fiji has the capability of, of beating Wales and, and giving a scare to either Australia or England. I mean, if you're picking a dark horse to make the quarterfinals at the World Cup, I think you couldn't, you know, Fiji is your team to go with. Um, I was very impressed with them. And Samoa had their ups and downs, but I was also very impressed with Samoa. Um, good, solid team, plays great rugby. They're smart. Um, sometimes they can be a little physical, but, you know, that's not a bad thing. But uh, I, I really like their chances as well. In fact, you know, in Pool B, it's hard to, you know, say that Samoa and Scotland won't be an even matchup uh, to, to make the quarterfinals. Uh, or Japan, really, for that matter. I mean, Japan, yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's becoming more of a toss-up. And, uh, you know, I think that's great to see in it. You know, I had a chance to make it out to Burnaby. I was in San Jose. I was in Sacramento. Wasn't able to make it to Toronto, unfortunately. But I thought overall, what a great tournament. You know, there was loud, passionate support in all three places that I went to. Um, the rugby was fantastic. I thought, you know, it gave fans a nice opportunity to go out and, and experience something that they don't get. And, you know, I'd almost like to see it grow somehow. I'm not sure exactly how it can grow, but... What a fantastic tournament overall, and I think this year it was its best year yet. It, um, it's something I hope we see going forward. I know things are going to be different, and, and Mana Otai, coach of Tonga, has already sort of commented this summer about the pressures his players are facing with their club contracts in France. Do, do you have any sense? I, I don't, but do you have any sense of, of how strong uh, World Rugby's belief in this competition is going forward? I think it's, it's pretty strong. Um, especially amongst the U.S., Japan, and Canada. Um, that's where it's the strongest. I, you know, I, I, I feel for the Islanders. They, they're under a lot of pressure. You know, they can work and play in Europe, and, and they're some of the best players in Europe, but it's really hard to make that trip back. Um, you know, I think that they want to play in the tournament, all three of the island nations, I just think they would like it at good timing for them. Um, you know, if there was a Pacific Island Super Rugby team, I think that would take care of a lot of problems. But, uh, you know, unfortunately that's not the case. Um, I mean, that would just be my take on it. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's every reason to think they'll they'll go for it. I mean, we've seen lots of changes in the past, but it certainly has been, for the the quality of rugby, it's been excellent. And uh, I, I think people did get a sense of that. It's a, rugby Selling rugby in Canada is, is a challenging thing, and especially when your men's team isn't doing that great. Women's rugby is a well-known thing, and people know now that it's a strong team. And um, the Sevens, I think we're going to see interesting stuff with Canada Sevens, of course, being at Van, at, in Vancouver next March. Uh, I think that may that may, may may make a huge difference going forward. But that 15s team, which you know traditionally has been the kind of Cadillac program, the one that everybody looks to, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep up this competition and have a regular uh, regular go at it. There is potential there. It was that was the difficult thing I think on the whole is that first of all these players believe in themselves and these players want to put on a show. They played two home games and they lost at the death. 
and both games, both wins would have been strong, important wins for them. I think the, the quality of their play in Samoa was better than the quality of play against the, the Americans. And of course, the you know the ability to retain the ball is somewhat concerning. But nonetheless, this is a team that's shown it can score at a moment's notice. You only need to look at the try that Nick Blevins scored or the try that Phil McKenzie scored against Samoa. The ability that Canada has to strike at a moment's notice is really important. Um, before uh, before we wrap things up, I just want to touch back on AJ McGinty. You mentioned him earlier. I was remiss not to ask you about him. Interesting guy. I mean, the, if anything, America's found a goal kicker, but he certainly looks like he's a, a an ambitious player who wants to attack on the front foot and uh, and bodes well for America's hopes going forward. Yeah, so he's he's from Ireland originally. Qualifies on residency. Um, you know, it's interesting. Sorry, his, I don't, they've mentioned this a couple of times, but his father is the headmaster at Black Rock College in Ireland. No so kidding. Actually, several players from the United States have gone over and been, uh, I don't know what they call dorm masters or whatever, mm-hmm. head of houses or, or whatever they are, and, and played rugby over there <laughs> through this connection. But anyways, he comes over to the U.S., plays for Nyack for a year, and then heads down to life. And for the past three years, basically, he's been the best fly half in the country, and they've been waiting and waiting for him to become U.S. eligible, and now that he, he is, you know, he's lived up to expectations. He gets the team out on the, the front foot. Uh, he makes smart passes, uses the wings. The U.S. is very dangerous wings, and they're finally, I think, getting used better. Um, but most importantly, it's his goal kicking. You know, when was the last time the U.S. made a drop goal? They made one against Georgia last year or two years before, but before that, who knows, you know, and, and so now that they have this kicking threat, and I think that's what you saw throughout the tournament was the U.S. was able to win games thanks to taking points. When in the past they they would have had to go for a line out and and push for a try just because they didn't have confidence in their kicker. So to me, AJ McGinty is the most valuable player on the U.S. because he's a game changer. He just changes the way that they play, um, and that's something that the Eagles have looked for for a long time. It looks like they finally found their answer. It's uh, it's it's a cool story. It's gonna be an interesting one to watch. Certainly gonna be interesting to see what happens to him after the World Cup, because of course he does have his uh, easy way into Europe. So we'll see what happens there. Curtis, uh, thanks for joining us as always. You can find Curtis on Twitter at this is Amer Rugby, and of course uh, he's got a Facebook page. This is American Rugby, and of course the internet. This is AmericanRugby.com. What else have I missed? Anything, Curtis? No, that's pretty much it. I I everyone should check out Patrick Johnson at Rising Action. <laughs> And at the province, and, and also go on to iTunes and rate the Try and Tackle podcast. There you go, buddy. Good to hear from you, folks. Always, we'll be bit, we'll be back soon. I think we're going to get a bit more regular now that uh, things are starting to roll. We'll see some squads getting named going forward. Uh, always love to hear from you. Give us a shout on Twitter if you like, or, or send us an email, and uh, we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to the Province Sports Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor Patrick Johnston. Find this and other great sports podcasts in iTunes or subscribe to using your favorite podcast app by clicking the links available on the thepromisepodcasts.com.